Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, July the 26th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, this is the price of freedom. What do I mean by that? Oh, I suppose I'll have to explain right after this. Negro leaders have fought for civil rights. What do you mean they by have fought? begged for civil rights. They have begged the white man for civil rights. They have begged the white man for freedom. And every time, anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. Freedom is something that you have to do for yourselves. And until the American Negro lets the white man know that we are really, really ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom, our people will always be walking around here second-class citizens or what you call 20th century slaves. What price are you talking about, sir? The price of freedom is death. That was Malcolm X back in, I think, 1964. Um, And, hey, look, I mean, he's absolutely right. This is, um, I think, 63, actually. I I don't remember the exact year, but it was in the early 1960s. Um, This is something that I play for two reasons. One, because... I'm going to be talking a little bit in the second portion of this podcast podcast episode. And gosh, I can't even say the word podcast. My goodness me. There's a lot of times I can't. I'm just, you know, this idea that I speak really slowly is <laughs> I speak too quickly a lot of times. But I'm going to be talking in the second portion or the latter portion of this podcast episode. And welcome. And I hope you're well on this Monday, dear listener, and and thank you for listening and for your continued loyalty to this podcast. It's really something that I truly appreciate and I respect you a great deal. Whether or not you listen to this podcast, if you never had, I mean, I appreciate you and I hope that uh, you are in a, a better place than you were the day before in your life. And I hope that the people that you love and care about are in a better place today than they were yesterday or feeling a little better about things or about themselves or about the world well the world well that's a whole nother crapshoot isn't it but i just hope that you know that as these days move and then drift away from us and then morph into the next day of the week that you are um, rebuilding your spirit and fortifying your soul with the good thing in life the good things in life that we must value and treasure, first and foremost, the people around us that we love and care about, our family, our friends, um, children, our children, and, you know, and all of those, you know, our spouses, and all of the really important people that fortify us and support us and have a support network. Because, I mean, hey, just think about it. Imagine walking around this planet knowing that people are afraid of you every day of your life. And some of us, Spend our entire lives in that existence. That is part of our lives every day. And we walk around and there are people out here who are scared to death of you. And they barely even know why. It's a system that they swim around in. It's the racism that's deep in their hearts, but they pretend as if, oh no, I'm not one of those kinds of people. And yet, the fear wells up in their hearts and souls when they see you, when they see me. Imagine going through that every day, that you're walking the street and there are people and the looks on their faces when they see you. Wow. They're mortified. If they would see themselves, I don't know what they would think. But all I can say is, thank God for love. Thank God for love. Because this whole society hates and this system hates. And remember that it's not you that's the problem. It's this system and these people who hate so much, who are racist, who have absolute contempt for you. And they barely like themselves. I mean, they they don't even really like themselves. Otherwise, how could they hate so much? I'm not trivializing anything here as the truth. They don't even like the look of themselves.
The price of freedom, as Malcolm X said there in that clip, is death. And I play that clip for two reasons. One, a reason I'm going to get to um, that I've actually alluded to a number of times before, but particularly the last few days. And the other reason is going to be the reason I'm going to get into now, which is the United States of America, and I've said this before as well, is a place where libertarianism runs rampant. And once this country was stolen from the Native Americans in bloodshed, in genocidal bloodshed, once the white colonialist violent invaders, predators, murderers came here and genocided the Native American, stole their land from them, stole their resources from them, destroyed their resources and then assumed control over what is now known as the United States of America. Once all that happened, we were already on a downward spiral in this country. We were already, this country was already doomed. And it's a miracle that this country has even lasted for the 245 years that it has, at least as the United States of America. Before that, it was called something else. And I know, you know, I'm not talking about what Christopher Columbus called it and where he thought the hell he thought he was when he got here. I'm not even going there. But the point is that before 1776, way before then, in 1600s and way before that, even before black folk were here and we'd been here for a long, long time. I mean, but the, the point I'm making here is that after 1776 and just before that, the United States adopted this such this libertarian strain. We can do whatever we want. I'm free. I'm an American. I can do this. I can. That's the whole culture, the whole society, right? Is I can do whatever I want. I'm an American. I'm free. And what people, specifically white people, many white people, not every white person, but the particular white person that I have in mind, are these yahoos? Are these indifferent people? Not even the yahoo types, not only the yahoos, but the indifferent silent types who walk around and smile at you, but, you know, they'll just as soon, you know, not get vaccinated. They're the ones that go to the bathroom, never clean themselves, never wash their hands, shower once every three weeks, you know? You know, the silent ones. They, they, they middle through the community. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm cutting to the quick and I'm being downright nasty here, but I'm telling the truth. I mean, I know these people because I live among people like this. I have lived among people like this. I know people like this. I do. People tell me. It's amazing what people will tell you. It's amazing. <laughs> you would be surprised. But there's this strain throughout this country of libertarianism. I can do what I want. I'm an American. I'm free. And freedom to these types of individuals is freedom to do whatever the F they want. Damn the consequences. I'm American. I'm free. And, and the thing is, you're not free. You're not free to go and destroy someone else's life and not pay consequences for it. And I know the system that has enabled all this to happen and executed all of this does allow you if you are a white man in particular, and some white women, to get away with anything in the name of so-called freedom and in the name of anti-blackness, for example. But what we're seeing now, when it comes to COVID-19, is the same destructiveness Hey, I don't have to wear a mask. I'm free. And in this country, I have the right not to wear a mask. And yes, that's true. You also have the right to be stupid. And that's what the United States provides you with. It affords you that unique thing. The right to your own stupidity. And in the name of that, you've got millions of people in the United States who just choose not to wear a mask. You've got millions of people in the United States who don't have any trepidation about the virus, who don't have any concern about it. 
And in the name of freedom, they don't want to get vaccinated. Heck, they're more afraid of us as black folk than they are of the freaking virus. That's the truth. They're more afraid of you as a black person than they are of catching COVID-19. They're more afraid of you than they are than they are of catching this Delta variant. Bring it on. Bring it on. I mean, you, you heard, I, look, I talked about this just yesterday or the day before with that stupid, stupid fool, idiot in Alabama who's on camera on CBS proudly proclaiming, oh, no, sir, I'm going to go through this again. Guy in the hospital for weeks, if not months. Oh, I, you know, yes, I've had COVID-19 and damn it, I'm not going to get vaccinated now. Would you go through this again if, if uh, really, are you willing to go through this again if you, if you, uh, when you, once you get out of here? Oh, yes, I'd go through this all over again, sir. Oh, yeah. This is the price of freedom. This, ignorance, death, stupidity. The United States affords us all the chance to be as ignorant and as stupid as that guy in Alabama. Just flaunting his stupidity, his conscientious stupidity. I mean, there's ignorance, there's stupidity, and there's conscientious stupidity. And as I've said over and over and over, Dr. Martin Luther King once said, the two most dangerous things in the world are sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And that last one, conscientious stupidity, is downright deadly. And there's so many people that swim around in this all day long. They would rather die in their conscientious stupidity than stay alive in rational and logical, scientific ways of being. That's a simple fact. They would rather wallow and die in their ignorance and their conscientious stupidity because the United States gives them the right to do that. Oh, I want to be free. And they think there's some purity in that. And to some degree, the culture has absolutely flaunted this notion and way of thinking and being. That you can luxuriate in your own ignorance and stupidity. And somehow there is a purity about that. And that turns some of these people on. Ooh, I am so free. Woo. I'm raw. I'm real. I'm keeping it real, man. I'm going to go and get this virus again. I'm going to get it again and again. And I'm not going to get vaccinated. I mean, this is absolutely stupid. And by the way, it's not confined to people in the South. I know. I know. You heard me mocking. But it is not people in the South alone. It's people across the country. It's people here in San Francisco, California. Today, dear listener. I had occasion to walk. I had occasion to walk around and, you know, walk around the place. And just observe the fact that over 90% of the people that I observed, saw, walked past were not wearing a mask. Now, does that mean that they were all unvaccinated? No. Does it mean that they were all fully vaccinated? No. But at that point, who really cares, right? Because they're not wearing a mask. San Francisco, as I have read to you on Saturday's episode of this very podcast, is experiencing a sharp rise in cases of the Delta variant of COVID-19. And coronavirus cases in this here city, this past week, were higher than they were in the entire state during the same time period. Think about that. San Francisco, California, right here where I am doing this podcast from, was one of the five cities in the entire country that had the very lowest rates of infection, rates of death from this COVID-19 virus. But now, just last week, 
according to the San Francisco Chronicle, San Francisco's rates shot through the roof, shot through the roof. And what happened is, is in this state, the whole state's cases, that includes Los Angeles County, for God's sakes, which is the most populous county in the entire state of California. And the county that had to go back to mask mandates indoors and outdoors for everybody, vaccinated or not. And San Francisco, for one full week, had more cases of COVID-19 than the entire state in the same one-week period. And the thing is, people here have let their guard down. People here have been miseducated. I've said that although the CDC that we have now under this president is better than the CDC we had under the criminal that was running around the White House for the last four years, this CDC under President Biden has made some poor messaging choices. And I think some of those messaging choices are also contributing to this. And some people will vehemently say no. That's really harsh. But it's not. It's not. I've said this from day one. You needed to send a three or four page booklet to every household on this, well, not planet, on, in this country. I know some people don't read, but that's not the point. You needed to spend the money. And the previous administration with that criminal didn't want to do that. They were just content to let people die because the criminal was more concerned about a book that Bob Woodward was writing than he was about telling you and I the truth about just how deadly this Corona-19 is, coronavirus-19 is. This CDC has engaged in some really poor messaging. I said this as well in May of this year, when they in the CDC did this, oh, well, you don't have to wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated, but unless, unless, until, on this, if you're in a close crowd, if you da, 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 and you start to do that to people, people are going to just take the bloody mask off. That is how the human being is. We are obstinate. We are rebellious. We don't give a fuck. We are going to find an excuse to be rebellious, to be free, in quotes, F-R-E-E, and to not wear a mask. That is compounded by Gavin Newsom, the governor of this state of California. The following month saying, oh, June 15th, no masks anymore. You don't have to worry. We're throwing the masks away. But, but, if you're in closed spaces, you will have to wear one. We're going to rely on the honor system. The honor system. The honor system. And everybody knows that that's a bunch of garbage because nobody gives a damn about honesty. I mean, there's some people do, but most people don't. It's like when you have your driving test and then you get your license, your driver's license, you pass the test. And now, now that you passed your driver's test, right? You know, before you pass it, you're all cautious and you... Let me make my signal turn. Let me do this. Let me look. Let me do my three-point turn. Let me park into the space. Let me stop at the light. And you do it oh so carefully when you are doing your driver's test. But once you get that license, you don't give a fuck anymore. You are going to just drive like a mad motherfucker. And it is absolutely the truth. You see people driving through red lights, driving through stop signs, you know, just no regard for human life, hit and run. You know, if they did a hit and run during a driving test, how far do you think they would get? Exactly. They would not. So human beings, and my cynicism aside, uh, are are waiting to rebel. They're waiting to rebel. You can't tread on me, the Gadsden flag. You can't tread on me. Don't tread on me. 
And I had someone around this neighborhood who had that blooming flag. Thank God they've moved. This paranoia. Oh, liberty, we're free. Free from what? What are you free from? A system that continues to dupe you and tell you to hate? I, it's not just the system. It's obviously the person, the, the you, whoever the you is that applies here. But we have got to a point now where stupidity wins the day every day. And that's further permeated by social media. It's permeated by the fast food culture of 24-7 cable news. It's permeated by pundits and the pundit class. It's permeated by these corporations and these advertisers that sell you the fast food quick fix to everything. No critical thinking allowed, no education allowed, and you can't do this, you can't do that. So let's all be stupid. Let's get on TikTok and, and be foolish. You know, let's get on Instagram and act the ass. Ah, you know, not everybody on those platforms does that. There's some very edifying things that get said on these platforms. I'm not saying that that does not happen. But you will notice that on these platforms, the more outrageous and the more stupid the things are that you see on them, the more video likes, the more clicks, the more this that they get. We are turning into mush. And we seem to be proud of it in the United States. I'm not suggesting that it's limited to here, but we are the greatest. I don't like to use that word. We are the biggest purveyors of it. And that's what happens when you have so-called so much freedom. We take our existence in this country for granted, I think, dear listener. There are so many countries on this planet that do not have the freedom nor the ability to be as lax as we are, as so-called carefree as we are. We don't have any kind of spatial comparison and representation. We are really here in a bubble. We are the... I mean, we are the exception that proves the rule, but we are not exceptionalists. We just think we are, some of us. Most of the countries in the world cannot afford to luxuriate in ignorance like we do. We're spoilt. We are rooted in excess, many of us. We are living for today, some of us. We barely care about what we did two minutes ago, some of us. And we walk around as if we are invincible, some of us. And so I, I really tried to throw this at you, dear listener, because there is really no other way to put this. When you have this so-called American experiment, Birthed in violence. I've said this a few days ago and very recently. And you build a system off of the backs of Native Americans and of black people. And all of that was built off of violence, off of suppression and oppression and enslavement. And telling black folk they couldn't educate themselves and Penalty for you educating yourself is death. What do you expect is going to happen to that country? Eventually it's going to go down in flames. If it was not built in a way that was ethical and just and righteous and healthy, it's not going to survive. If you buy a product and that product was put together in a shoddy way, in a careless way, in a way where things were just thrown together in a haphazard fashion, pulled from here, pulled from there, pulled from the other place. How long do you think that product would last? How long do you think it's going to last? Come on, you go to your supermarket and see how long a product that gets thrown around, battered and bruised, thrown against a wall, dropped, dumped, 
shackled. How much? How much do you? How long do you think that product's going to last? If it's a fruit, if it's a vegetable, if it's a you know, think about it. No matter what it is, it's not going to last very long. It's going to crumble. If it's a pack of cookies, I know I'm comparing this to cookies. That's how bad it's got. I don't even eat cookies. Which must make me some kind of oddball or something. But why do people think that what we have now in this country is going to last forever? Didn't January 6th, 2021 send any kind of signal to the people who are walking around here talking about freedom? Or any of us? Did it send a signal to you? Me? Us? We? Did it? Did that date of terrorism that's now being called a tourist excursion by some Republicans, many Republicans, did that date of January 6, 2021 teach you anything, me anything, us anything? Did you and I learn anything from that? Because I have asked, by the way, dear listener, on a number of occasions, at least one occasion last week, maybe the week before. Do you think that the American public is becoming too complacent? And I posted this poll on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, and every response, it was only a few responses, but every response said yes. And I agree. We are getting very complacent here now. And I'm going to get to President Biden and, again, the connection to how I began this podcast episode with the quote from Malcolm X, you heard Malcolm X speaking at the beginning, that we've become more lazy, technology has aided and abetted that, computers have aided and abetted that, Amazon has aided and abetted that, Apple, as much as I love Apple products, they have aided and abetted this, Google has, all of these big tech companies, Facebook, They've all done this to your brain and to us and to the society and to the culture and the politicians who take money from all of those entities I've just described. And they can haul their asses, the CEOs of all those companies, to, ha- to Capitol Hill as many times as they friggin' well want. All they're going to get is stonewalling. All they're going to get is, okay, we'll just give you some light questions. Don't forget to deposit that money in my uh, campaign funds, won't you please? For my next election. Yeah, they could put Jack Dorsey out there and uh, Mark Zuckerberg out there on Front Street and the CEO of Google out there. And they can put, you know, come on, Jeff Bezos, for God's sakes, even though he is no longer the CEO of Amazon. Why didn't he stay in outer space? Ten minutes, that's not enough. Ten minutes? How's that for staying power? Ten minutes? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> This is the system that we've got. This is it. And I'm telling you that if it was being controlled by people who really cared about you and about me, we would be in better hands right now. And I dare say that a different group of people could run this thing a goddamn sight better than who's been running it these last four or five hundred years. Because they have fucking messed up. And that is an understatement. The price of freedom is coming home to roost. Just like those chickens Malcolm X once talked about. And we're seeing it now. People carefree. They don't give a damn. They think the essence of being an American is to be stupid. And maybe other people around the world would say yes. That is what it is about this country. Stupidity is at its core, like Forrest Gump. Is that too harsh? Is that too harsh, dear listener? You've got people talking about, oh, this COVID doesn't mean anything. Oh, it's just garbage. It's a bad flu. And then they're dying from it. They are willing to die for stupidity. But they are not willing to die for maintaining human rights, stopping wars, 
having health care, having voting rights. They're not willing to die for those kinds of things. They're not willing to die for a better planet, for an environmentally safer place. They're not willing to die for those things. To end police brutality, to end the system that is destroying us. They're not willing to die for any of that. What they're willing to die for is stupidity, is ignorance, is a virus. Because that is what ignorance and stupidity is. I'm proud of the coalition we put together, the broadest and most diverse coalition in history. Democrats, Republicans, independents, progressives, moderates, conservatives, young, old, urban, suburban, rural, gay, straight, transgender, white, Latino, Asian, Native American. I mean it, especially those moments, and especially those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb. The African-American community stood up again for me. You always had my back, and I'll have yours. Yeah, that's a bunch of garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, I played that clip a few days ago on this podcast, and I told you then, dear listener, that that was a bunch of garbage. Yeah, you know, it's true. The The part that's not garbage is the the part where... Joe Biden, and that was November 7th, 2020, you know, the Saturday night in Delaware that I talked about previously, where uh, about two or three episodes ago, I said this, where, you know, you'll never forget that Saturday if you were someone who voted for Joe Biden, listening to this now. You'll never forget that Saturday where you were when you found out that news organizations, including and chiefly CNN, had projected that um, that, that Joe Biden was going to become President Biden. Right. And later on that day, that night in Delaware, in Wilmington, I think that was specifically, came that speech, including that piece that you just heard, that portion. And the true thing about what Joe Biden said at that point, he was the president elect. The truth was that black people have always had Joe Biden's back. Black people have always, for the last 60 plus years, had the Democratic Party's back. Black people, for the last 500 years, even when we were being enslaved, have had the country's back. Even when the white people in the country didn't give two shits about whether or not the country lived or died. Some of them, anyway. We have always stood up And always put ourselves on the line for a country that we were dragged to in chains. We never asked to come here. And we treat this country more decently than it's ever treated us. More decently than anybody has ever treated us. Joe Biden was right about the one thing. Black folk have always had Joe Biden's back. But Joe Biden has not always had the black communities back. Certainly not in the 70s where he was coming out publicly against busing. Oh, no. And Kamala Harris, who is now the vice president of the United States, during the campaign where she ran for president, made it very clear that that little girl that he stood up against when he threw out his anti-busing stand was her. She made that very clear to him. And by the way, the present first lady did not like that one bit. She cursed out Kamala Harris behind closed doors. That's that's a true story. And I guess it's understandable for a spouse to do that. And I again, I know I'm sounding very patronizing when I say that. It is understandable for a spouse to get their dander up, if you will, when someone goes at their Spouse, this is politics, baby. It wasn't going to be nice. It was never going to be pretty. 
But that was an ugly lie that Joe Biden told. I'm going to have yours. I'll have yours. No, you won't. You've not had our back ever since you've walked in. And I'm telling you, like I said the other day, don't quote me and give me the, don't give me the blooming Juneteenth holiday. Oh, did you? That is not what black folk voted you in for. Right? They voted you in so that we could secure voting rights, so that we could have better health care, better job opportunities, stronger economy, criminal justice reform, whatever that means, right? Reform, right? I can't stand that word. It's a systemic buzzword that I detest with every fiber of my being. And because you know, dear listener, if you listened regularly, I have talked about language and what it means and how important it is. And it's not semantics I'm talking. This is really serious. This is about language. This is about meaning. This is about words. And when you use words, you should use them precisely and carefully. And no, if I ever met you, I wouldn't castigate you for saying something that wasn't. <laughs> Come on. You know, I mean, hell, I say enough things that don't make sense. I'm sure I'm not, you know, come on. I'm not going to do that to anybody who ever, if I ever bump into you or even bump into me. But I am saying that when we're talking about the issues that matter, words and in anything, in conduct in life, words mean something. Words can kill, words can hurt, words can wound, words can empower, words can bring love and compassion and healing. They can, they can. Words are very powerful. It's one of the few things that we have as human beings that really can either hurt or heal. But I have to say, That Joe Biden told a big fat lie on November 7th, 2020. He has not had our back. Yes, there may be some executive orders that he signed. And yes, there are here and there that do help black folk. I'm not going to pretend that that's not true. But when you're talking about voting... You're not going to stand in the way of all the segregationists and all the racists and all the penny-ante-ass moderates in the Democratic Party as well and these thieving-ass criminal Republicans. You're, you're not going to stand in the way of that and exercise some muscle and the bully pulpit that you've got. You're not going to even attempt to be a so-called LBJ. You're not going to even do that? No, oh no, I'm not. Remember, I keep pointing at that town hall last week in Ohio with Don Lemon. Turns out, I think that's one of the more important pieces of television that I've watched in the last God knows how long on the corporate news media because, you know, I don't really watch CNN or MSNBC or any of these things. The only thing I watch on any kind of basis is Sky News in terms of corporate stuff, because Sky News is owned by Comcast, an American corporation, which actually owns MSNBC too, by the way. Sky News is halfway reasonable. Far from perfect, but it is not nearly as bad as the rest of those two networks I've mentioned here in the United States. Sky News operates out of the United Kingdom, and I think it has, it has news outlets in Australia, it has Sky News Australia, and blah, blah, blah. But that town hall last week was very important. And when I talk about the price of freedom and playing that Malcolm X quote, the reason why I play it for this particular portion of this podcast is the point that Malcolm X made in that quote, in that piece you heard at the beginning. Black folk have got to let this country know that we are going to be willing to die for our freedom. And Lord knows, in the time since Malcolm X has said that, in fact, during the time he said it, black folk were dying for freedom, for voting. Look at James Cheney, along with Mickey Schwerner and Andrew Goodman. Look at Jimmy Lee Jackson, murdered in Selma. 
I can go all the way down the line. John Lewis was beaten to within an inch of his life. Hosea Williams. And so many other people on that bridge, that Klansman, that Klansman's bridge down there in Alabama, in Selma. And that means that we have to do this again. Every 60 or 70 years in the United States, roughly, there are these cycles. And every 60 to 70 or so years, we have, we have this, this moment that we will have to either rise up or perish. And when I say rise up, I mean we have to get organized and vote. We have to educate people. We have to mobilize and organize. And for some people, they think that means something, ooh, dastardly and dangerous and violent. No, it doesn't. It means that we've got to start looking at the fact that you've got two political parties. One of them, they are hell-bent on telling you, right, what they're going to do. And they're doing it right in front of you. And the other party that's just acquiescing to it. And again, in the last few days, and I want to make this clear. In fact, in the last day or so, the last few hours, three different people with much more prominent platforms than yours truly have spoken out about A, these Democrats who we've all put into office to stand up for what we believe in and execute it to our liking. Or about President Biden. Earlier today, or today, Robert Reich, the former um, Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton, tweeted out something at R-B-R-E-I-C-H on Twitter. And this was his tweet, Robert Reich, the former, now former, Labor Secretary. Every day that Senate Democrats refuse to end the filibuster, they are knowingly and willingly allowing Mitch McConnell to decide America's future. Yep. That's right. In a tweet, yes. That's what the Senate Democrats are doing. That's what the moderates in that Senate Democratic Party are doing. Because quite frankly... There really are not very many people who fall very far left in the Senate among the Democrats. There are probably two that I can think of off the top of my head. I think they may may possibly be the very same two people that you're thinking about. Maybe three people. Jeff Merkley, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Right? And I don't know if I'd even call Elizabeth Warren that far left-leaning. It might be debatable if you call Bernie that far left-leaning. Some people are very upset with Bernie Sanders. Some of the former Bernie Sanders supporters are very upset with him. The so-called progressive, very upset with him. I mean, I'd call myself a progressive, but a very different kind of progressive. Not, not the ones that are out here who rah, rah, rah and shout for some things, but then they're quiet on black, black issues. They're quiet on voting rights. They're not coming out and getting arrested with the rest of us. They're not going out there and showing support. If they're not going to go get arrested, speak up about it. And some of them are not speaking up. That's not the kind of progressive I am. I want progress for first and foremost for black folk. And then I also want progress for everybody. Right? I'm no selective progressive. Right? The one that comes out there and all big and loud for some things. And then their ass is as quiet as a church mouse on all the other issues, including yours. That's not progressivism. That's selectivism. And what I want to say is that some of these progressives are very upset with Bernie because the outlook is is that Bernie's basically retreated and capitulated to, to Joe Biden. And I don't think that's wrong. I don't necessarily think that they're wrong about that. I think that's very true. But I don't want to make it about one individual senator. And by the way, I should add a fourth senator here. 
as well as the three that I've mentioned. That would be uh, Ed Markey. I think he is, um, relatively speaking, a, a progressive, uh, relatively speaking. But the whole point is, is that these Senate Democrats, whether they're some moderates or progressives or whatever, they have totally been silent about this. They have not been aggressive enough. Chuck Schumer, to me, is not aggressive enough on this. And I said this yesterday in the bipartisanship episode that I did. Bipartisanship is all about power. It's all about maintaining the two-party system. That's what I see bipartisanship as. It's not about, ooh, let's work together. Of course you work together. Man, that's not even about bipartisanship. Two parties working together, to me, is not about bipartisanship. That's politicians working together. I think if we take the R and the D out of it, the Republican and the Democratic out of, the Democrat out of it, and just look at people working together to reach a common or stated goal, then you might be better off. But bipartisanship is not about people working together because they work together all the time. And just because you work together with someone, that doesn't mean you agree with them. I put out a poll earlier on Twitter, at the popcorn R-E-E-L, where I asked people, what they thought bipartisanship in U.S. politics meant. I only got, to, to date, one response. <laughs> Shows you how popular my questions are. But that's okay. No one has to respond to it. I don't take any umbrage or offense at that. I mean, that's just the way it is. Sometimes you get responses, sometimes you don't. I'm not living for the response. If you don't respond, you don't respond. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and cry about it. I have a pity party. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But the point I'm trying to make here is that one of the choices I put down was propping up the two-party system. And that was the one choice that was selected by somebody. Which is basically the conclusion I, I, I reached in yesterday's episode. That the organizing structure of bipartisanship, as it's called, is really to maintain the, the system that's here. Which explains why you got rid of the last person who was a piece of garbage, right? Who wanted to drive the so-called American experiment underground and uh, give it a funeral. And this guy who's come in and he's hands off. Oh, no, I'm not going to do anything about voting rights. Oh, no, I'm not going to do anything about the filibuster. Oh, my gosh, it would destroy government. Oh, my gosh, so you wouldn't get anything done. Wait a minute, what do you mean? Like I said the other day, what do you mean? When you're talking about getting something done, voting rights is supposedly, as you say, the cradle of the democracy to have these things and you just don't want to rock the boat and get something done by getting rid of this bloody filibuster that's been around for 200 plus blooming years that's been used in all kinds of ways by racists, by Southerners, by other Democrats, wherever they are, by Republicans as well. More recently, over these last, God knows how many years now, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, come on, so that they can stop progress of black folk getting the, all the kinds of things we need to be a member of the citizenship class and so-called second class citizenship is exactly what we have. And now in 2021, after we voted your ass in, oh, you have our back, I'll have your back. And you turn around and tell Don Lemon last week. Oh, this is just, we can't do this. It's going to throw the entire Congress into chaos and nothing will get done. That's Joe Biden's edition of having black person's backs. That's, that's his definition of it. We're not going to throw the, the entire Congress into chaos because, you know, nothing will get done. That's, that's, that's Joe Biden's I'll have your back for black folk. And it's totally unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. But as I said in the other episode I did on this, there are people who warned you about this. I had given maximum trepidation to Joe Biden. I, I, I was saying it up until maybe around July or August. And then I backed off. Right? Right? Because July or August... It was confirmed he was the nominee in, in August, right? So 
Then I said, okay, it's time to get on board. And I had been on board. I said I'd be on board if whoever the nominee was. And then I worked my tail off to make sure. As did you, as did many of you, as did many people around the country to make sure that Joe Biden got in. And I also said we've got to continue to lobby him. I said that on inauguration day. I said that before and I've said it after. This is like chess. You have to move the pieces strategically. And you know this. I know this. We know this. You may not like Joe Biden, and I have plenty of big misgivings. You can go back to many of the podcast episodes I've done here, if you have nothing better to do. And, and look at all the ones where I've, the titles of them, you know, is he, I mean, all kinds of words. I, I have spent a lot of time raising critical questions about Joe Biden. It's not like the, this is now some shock to me. And there were people telling me, yeah, Omar, I'm telling you, he ain't going to be much of anything. And so far, when it comes to black people, it's promises made, but not promises kept. And so the way this Democratic Senate is going, it's completely capitulating. The... At one point, the most powerful Joe in the world was Joe Manchin, not Joe Biden. Because Joe Biden didn't do anything as Joe Manchin just ran roughshod over the American Recovery Act, took out the $15 an hour federal wage provision. Oh, no, I'm against that. That's against it. Oh, and I'm against ending the filibuster because I want our country to be a country. And these stupid idiots, and they know better than this, they're arguing against logic. With the filibuster in place, you can't have a united friggin' country. With people not being able to vote or being suppressed in these anti-voting measures, you can't have a united anything. Now, the second person, alongside Robert Reich, the former Labour Secretary, who has kind of echoed some of the things I've said, is Charles Blow of the New York Times. Charles Blow, the New York Times, wrote a column called Mr. President, You're Just Plain Wrong on Voter Suppression. Or, as I would say, my title of it would be Mr. President, Have Pity on the Voting Man. Maybe Randy Newman might come after me for copyright bastardization or something. <laughs> but if you read the uh, July the 25th column from Charles Blow, he speaks to exactly what I was talking about. And I'm not suggesting that he was listening to my podcast. <laughs> I would love to think that. Or maybe it was. Who knows? You don't know. You have no idea. But it, that doesn't so much matter as it does what he said, which is what I've said. He quotes in his uh, story from yesterday, his opinion story, as I put it, the very same things that I said last week in this part on this podcast and I, he, he, recall, he recalls the town hall that President Biden did with John, Don Lemon and about Don Lemon's line about why, why would you want to protect something that's a relic of Jim Crow and, and then as, as, I, as I said earlier and as I've said in the episode a few days ago when Biden responded to him oh there's no reason to protect it other than you're going to throw the entire Congress into chaos and nothing will get done I mean please and then, <laughs> this is so funny, at least to me, I find this funny. Charles Blow says, what? In his column, getting rid of it to protect black people's ballot access is getting something done, something enormous. And he also cites in this story, does um, Mr. Blow, that Biden talks about the Recovery Act. And remember, I talked about this in the episode I did a few days ago. I said how Biden pivoted over to, oh, the Recovery Act, you're getting more money in your pocket. Your family's getting more money. So again, he never, and I said again, he never asked, answered, excuse me, the question that the young white man had asked him, the young white uh, law school entrant to be, right? Who asked him, well, you, and, and he said point blank to him in that audience and good for him said to the President of the United States, you know, you and your c colleagues have done very little to uphold voting rights and to fight for them and to end the filibuster. He's absolutely right. 
Biden's done jack. Biden worked with segregationists. People have to remember this. In the 1970s, when he came to the Senate in 1972, and the first few years, he was all about working with Eastland. Bipartisanship. Working with these segregationists and Strom Thurmond and Robert Byrd. Klansmen, for God's sakes. That should tell you something. You got Klansmen in your friggin' government, in your friggin' system. That's not changed. And you still got a whole load of them in the Senate and the House. And, you know, oh, no, we don't want to investigate it. And I know there was a commission that's drawn up today in the House and Mary, and Mary I almost said Mary Cheney, not Mary Cheney, Liz Cheney, um, is the ranking member. And you got Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger on there and uh, Pelosi appointed them and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and all of this. And you got the Kevin McCarthy saying what he's saying and all this garbage coming out of his mouth. But you got to understand something. You still have so many of these tyrannical, evil, insurrectionist, terroristic Republicans still in the House, still in the Senate. I mean, the roots of the end of America are right there in the friggin' House Republicans constituency. And the other side, the other side, have just capitulated to it. Capitulated to it. There were opportunities to end this. And they weren't taken. Which again informs my point from yesterday. That this is about keeping a system in place. Not about ending the injustices, not about ending anything that is injurious to you or me. I've become wholly convinced of that. And it's not because I just choose to be as cynical as I might sound to you. It's because history shows me this. And history is the present, as James Baldwin once said. I think George Orwell once said that too. I know that William Faulkner said it. The past is not even past, he once said, he once wrote. But this is the thing. The system is absolutely in place to keep this kind of stuff going because power stays in the system and not anywhere near you. Because if you had voting power, you could get rid of a lot of this dead weight and vote them out. But no, President Biden, you know, you know, he... He doesn't give a rat's ass about black folk. He doesn't care. He'll say that he does. I'll have your back. Um, when's he had it? I said this the other day. When's he had your back? Name me three instances this year where he has. And I'm not talking about George Floyd. I'm not talking about a freaking holiday. I shouldn't say freaking. I'm not talking about Juneteenth because long before he became president, he had activists, black activists, fighting for that holiday for decades. But don't tell me about, oh, did you sign a Juneteenth holiday? Uh-uh, that's not what we voted them in for. We don't want the holidays if you ain't going to back it up with voting rights and fighting for our existence in the political system and franchise. What is the use of giving us a holiday if you're not going to fight to end this filibuster? which deprives us, deprives us of all manner of things. What's the point? And I mean, for Joe Biden to sit there and go to Don Lemon, well, I want them to stand on the floor for 24 hours and do it. We should have a system where they... No, I don't want them to stand up there for 24 hours. I want this thing gone. I want this filibuster done with. Over. Finito. Done. Good night. Avidizen. I don't want to see them. I don't care if they stand or sit or butt dance or limbo or do the electric fucking slide. I want this bloody filibuster done with. Over. Over. But no. Biden doesn't want to do that. Doesn't want to do it. And what I want to see is the people who voted for him, like I did, stand up and actually open their mouth and say something against him and condemn what he did with this. Because last week I said that town hall, his showing in that town hall was piss poor. 
And, you know, I know that some of the people, and some people are not going to like me for saying this, but I, I'm not doing something to be liked, right? I told you, respect is important to me. Whether someone likes you or not, or likes me or not, is le- is far less of a concern. And you, man, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't, so if you like me, you do. If you like, it's not the issue. It's not about me. It's about what the truth is, is what's happening in front of your eyes. Why will you only criticize one party and not when the other one sits on its laurels and does nothing and then you're quiet? And where the same President Biden dropped bombs on Syria, you were quiet. When the same President Biden gave the go-ahead to this pipeline in Minnesota that's going to adversely affect indigenous communities and communities suffering with this damn pipeline that's going to be an environmental disaster, you were quiet. You were silent. Why? Why didn't you speak up? So it's okay if the Democratic president does it, but if the Republican one does it, ooh. And that's not what we should be. We got to be better than that. We have to be. Now, I'm not going to sit here and go, this is not who we are. I'm not going to do one of those to you because that's insulting your intelligence. And that would make me a bigger ass than maybe some of you might think I am. (laughs) But I just have to convey this to you, dear listener. That if you really want to engage in something worthwhile to make changes, then you are going to have to start scrutinizing when your guy or your lady does something wrong. How can you think that the politicians you vote for are infallible? How can you think that they're perfect when you and I are not perfect? We are not perfect. We wouldn't give each other a pass on bullshit like this. So why are you giving President Biden that kind of pass? This is to those of you who haven't said anything about this. My, my job here is to hopefully, among other things, challenge you. Perhaps make you uncomfortable. Because like you say, none of us can be comfortable with the kind of world we're living in right now. Because if you are comfortable with the world you're living in, you are living a very, very dangerous existence. And you won't know what has hit you by the time things come right around. It's like the Carly Simon song. I'll be coming around again. And I'm telling you, different context, but things come around again. And Charles Blow talked about this. You've got to read that column. I'm not going to go any further in it, except to say that, yeah, you know, one of the things that Charles Blow points out is that, yeah, Biden wants to be a Robin Hood of the working class. I agree. But I think it goes even deeper than that. He just wants to be ordinary Joe. Oh, you know, I'll tinker here. I'll tinker there. But will I really lift the finger? Nah. I'll just crap all over the very people that got me here. Because that's what power is. I'm now here and you have to deal with me. And I don't have to be beholden to you anymore. I begged for your vote. I basically kissed your shoes for my, for your vote. But now, fuck you. I don't care about you. And that was what President Biden didn't even have to say last week at that town hall. Because actions, actions speak louder than words. And Roland Martin talked about this too. Joe Biden not standing up and doing these things. And I played a portion of that last week with Amisha Cross, the Democratic strategist. And she didn't she she said, well, this administration, it's clearly Biden and Biden's administration. They don't they look like they're not going to want to do anything about this. And she's right. They don't want to do anything about it. They don't because they're taking us for granted because they know we are the most reliable voting bloc. Which is why the Republicans are trying to stop us from voting. 
these anti-voting bills. I'm not even going to call them voter suppression. I know that Charles Blow does. I'm not going to, in his article and the title of it, I, these are anti-voting bills. Can we just get it really straight? Anti-voting. And that's what the Democrats, I said this before, it's what they've got to run on for 2022. You've got to run on these things. Not mealy-mouth BS, but run on something. Please. And to those of you out there who are saying nothing about what President Biden does when he does something wrong, you need to look in the mirror at yourself. I know some people aren't going to like that, but that doesn't matter whether they like it or not. Or whether they like me or not. You have to stand up. If you claim you want this better country and this better world, then you have to start with you and you have to start with the guy you voted for. Because I voted for him and I have no problem pointing out when he fucks up. I have no problem pointing out when the previous guy who was in there fucks up. And that was all the time. I didn't vote for the previous guy, but I have definitely criticized him. And why not? I did vote. I just don't get it. That's part of the issue too. We're so entrenched in our party. And it's a system because the party that you're entrenched in used to be the one that enslaved us. And the party that we can't stand and is doing all these criminal things used to be the abolitionist party. The party of the abolitionists. So it tells you that it's a system that we have to be dealing with, not with two parties. And you've got to stop this entrenchment in this party and that. Of course I'm a Democrat. Of course I'm not going to vote for these friggin' Republicans. But for God's sake, man, if you see someone doing something wrong, no matter which friggin' party they belong to, call it out. Call them up. Tweet the blooming people. Write them a friggin' letter. Text them. And DNC has no problem sending you emails every day looking for money. President Biden sending you emails every day looking for this, looking for that, looking for money. Vice President Harris doing the same thing. Why can't you call these people out when they do something wrong? And I will end with Malcolm X. Since he is the person that began this episode. As a reminder, something I say quite a bit here. In the words of Malcolm X. What's wrong is wrong. No matter who does it. Wrong is wrong. No matter who does it. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.